I'm Ed Gross, and you're listening to CloserWeekly.com's classic TV and film podcast, where we celebrate the golden age of television and movies, then and now. In this episode, we continue our conversation with Lloyd Schwartz, whose father created both the Brady Bunch and Gilligan's Island. Last week, we were all about the Bradys. This time, we're focusing mainly on Gilligan and the rest of those seven stranded castaways. But before we do that, we're talking about Lloyd's Saturday morning live-action series from the 70s, Big John, Little John, which dealt with an adult turning into a kid at the most inopportune times. Think of it as the Incredible Hulk, but really different. From there, we're on to the three Gilligan's reunion TV movies, and then the challenges of convincing Warner Brothers to get behind Gilligan's Island, the motion picture. Lloyd says that one will be an epic comedy adventure. I, I want to hit you on some Gilligan stuff here, but but one show sure. I have to ask you about, because uh, mm-hmm. as a kid, I loved it, was Big John, Little John. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you yeah. know, any any thoughts on that one? Because that was like, didn't you precede Freaky Friday or was it after Freaky Friday? Yeah, and, 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 um, I know this. It was in 76 or 7, um, so I don't know when Freaky Friday yeah, came out. I'm sure. It was based, you know, it's based on the founding of Dutton of Youth. That's what the the deal was. It was done too cheap. You know, I thought the, I loved working with the actors, Phil, I mean, uh, uh, Herb Edelman, yep. one of my favorite actors and Robbie, you know, we came, you know, it was, it was, uh, after, I think it was after Oliver. Yeah. It was after Oliver. Yep. It was an Oliver. And, um, uh, I liked the premise. It was, as I said, it was, you know, shot on 16 and it was on Saturday morning and, um, yeah, I think there's one, one unknown fact in it in the opening credits. Uh, Herb Edelman shrinks down to Robbie Wrist, right? And he goes through two phases, and one of the phases he went through was my younger brother. Really? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and the other one was, um, and this is what's unknown to people, is uh, Chris, who created Martin Modern Family, uh, Christopher Lloyd. Oh, okay. He was a kid, and yeah. I don't know how he ended up doing it. But that was his. That was his face in there. That's funny. <laughs> so, That's really funny. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not saying it was a great, great show, but I just remembered. I, I maybe I remember the theme song more than anything. But, <laughs> but it was. Well, Dad, you know, everybody remembers all Dad's. Themes. Oh my God, they're so. It's amazing. You know, we we did. Yeah. You know, we did. Uh, it's about time, and everybody remembers that theme song. They don't remember anything about the show. Right. You know? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's a great thing. Yeah. I remember when I got TV's greatest hits. My wife, when we were dating. Got me this double album of TV's greatest hits. And right, that song right. came up and it was just like, I remember that song. I can't tell you anything about yeah. the show, but I remember that show. That's uh, that song. Well, it gave me a chance to work with one of my favorite people ever was Imogene Coca. Because yeah. I worked on that show in 65. I was, I don't know, some 46, 19. So I was a dialogue coach on that with Joey Ross and Imogene Coca and cavemen and things. And, um, yeah, it lasted one season. Yeah. Well, what a great idea. Like, okay, it's not working anymore. Let's bring them into the present. Let's bring the cavemen yeah, into the present. That's I thought what that it was is. fun. Yep. But, but it's funny because it was just a summer job for me, so I was not around for the second half. Okay. I was back in school. I oh. Went to UCLA. I'm seeing. Yeah. Now, Gilligan's, were you were you involved on Gilligan's Island, the original? or? Um, I was only involved a couple of days as a dialogue coach. Probably okay. one of the most famous episodes. I held cued cards for uh, Jim Backus during the, the uh, singing of the Shakespeare thing. So I was there for that. And then um, I wrote, and I think, no, I don't know if I wrote, but I rewrote everything. But I produced Rescue from Gilligan's Island and then uh, Castaways on Gilligan's Island 
and Harlem Globetrotters on Gilligan's Island. How tough yeah. was it to take Gilligan 10 years later, basically? And I mean, obviously there were big hits. I'm not saying people didn't come and watch it, but was it tough taking yeah. or did you just say, now nah, we're just going to do the show and just expand it a little bit, you know, as a movie? Uh, no, no, dad, dad. Oh, no, no, it wasn't tough at all. Dad always, he was always trying to sell it and nobody would buy it. In fact, CBS at one point, the executive who read it said not, or read the idea of it said, not only do I not want to watch this, I can't believe anybody would tune in. Really? Yeah. And then there was some agent at uh, I mean, there was those days, uh, CMA or ICM or whatever. And he heard, we were talking about something else. We were sold a pilot to ABC and, um, he heard these, he heard us, somebody, a secretary said to him, how'd they ever get off the Island? And dad said, well, I had this idea. And then the agent heard it and then he sold it to Fred Silverman at NBC, at NBC, NBC at the time. Fred Silverman loved his high concepts. He really did. Yeah. Well, the history of Harlem Globetrotters and Gilligan's Island he wanted to do uh, the Brady Bunch get shipwrecked on Gilligan's Island. Really? Okay. Yeah. And of course, there was two different new studios, and that was never going to work. Right. And then he said, "Well, how about the Dallas the Dallas cheerleaders get shipwrecked <laughs> oh, on Gilligan's geez. Island?" Yeah. And uh, and uh, and of course, the Dallas cheerleaders where they were owned by ABC as well. This is NBC. And he said, "Well." How about the Harlem Globetrotters on Gilligan's Island? <laughs> Somebody on Gilligan's Island. <laughs> we're, we're still trying to write to figure this out, and we'd already figured out a story for the Harlem for the Dallas cheerleaders. Right. And Dad said, "Well, they're not as they're taller. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they are. Darker. <laughs> yes, they are. <laughs> That's great. And we do that, and I like that movie. It was it was it was not a hit." But um, I like the theme of it, you know, which was be who you are. And that's how. That's yeah. But now they had set yeah. that third movie up also as sort of a, wasn't it set up, and again, it's a long time ago and I haven't seen it in a long time, but like a Fantasy Island Love Boat type thing, like it was set up. With yeah, different... the second, the, in the second movie, they get rescued again. Right. They got rescued and thrown back on the island in the first one. In the second one, about three quarters of the way through, they're rescued for good and Mr. Howell uses the island to set it up like a hotel. Right. And it's pretty much like there's a hotel in Hawaii, I can't remember on which island, where you're not allowed phones or anything yet, so really you have to get away, and that's the way it is. And it was kind of like that idea. So what happened? I mean, did it – and you'll have to tell me how, how they did the finally, like the third movie did. Uh, but did it just run out of steam? Did the audience get tired of it? Or what happened that they stopped? Basically? It did pretty – well, I, I think it was scheduled against something that was really powerful. Mm -hmm. I can't remember what it was. It was like the World Series or something. I don't know, something like that. And it didn't do well. It did well when they re-ran it. But by that point, it was considered, you know, that was it. Right. Also, the, the, you know, Jim, Jim died shortly after the Harlem Globetrotters won. He was, he was replaced, actually, during the filming. This is really sad. But he was replaced by uh, David Ruprecht, who actually came in. He was a friend of mine. He came in second for Philip on the Brady Bride. Oh, wow. Okay. okay. Yeah, I can see that. But he, okay. Yes. But he did um, a very good Mr. Howell kind of impression. So he was junior. Right. Now, during the course of the movie, Jim had was very ill. And he called Dad up and he said, I really want to be in the movie. Right. And Dad says, well, I think we can get you in for one scene. And so he got him into the scene. And after this, and in, it was very sad on the set because everybody knew how ill he was. And he had a line or two. And, and then he walked, we walked off with my dad, I remember. And he, my dad told me later, he said to him, was like, 
dad said, you were really good. And Jim said, well, was I funny? Nice. Was I funny? And dad said, yeah. And then I remember walking him off and everybody in the set was crying. Mm. Cause they knew that was, yeah. Yeah. I need that Charlotte shortly thereafter. Right. Um, yeah, that was, so that was it. And, but they've been, there've been, the movie has been in development since 1988. Um, and there've been probably 10 scripts written. What's the problem? Many different studios because, um, they always want to do it their way. They always want to do it their way. And, um, it has to be different. It has to be different. And we wanted to do, you know, we, we have a, we have a view and still have a view and it has to fit into what we want and they won't accept what we want. And then we don't like what they want. And then eventually they don't like what they want. (laughs) Yeah. And then it gets, and then it gets stopped and then it gets stopped, you know? But what, what's your vision for Gilligan's Island movie? I'm not talking about plot specifics or anything like that. We know well, I'll, 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 say th- I'll say this much. Mm-hmm. Um, there has to be a reason for a movie. And a movie has to be different than just the TV show. Mm-hmm. Like the satire of Gilligan, of Brady. Yeah. So then they said, well, you guys know how to do it. Now Gilligan has to be a satire. And we said, no, Gilligan's already a satire. Right. So th- why do you want to make that movie? Well, the one thing that Gilligan's Island didn't have was size. The Brady Bunch movie and this is not a huge accomplishment, but I came up with the title, the Brady bunch movie. Cause I thought it was self self satirical. <laughs> it, well, I thought it was self satirical within itself. Yeah. The Brady bunch movie. Yeah. Not the Brady, Brady, Brady. Bunch. Okay. Otherwise people would just call it the Brady bunch, right. you know, no, the Brady bunch movie. Yeah. Okay. Gilligan's Island, I think should be called Gilligan's Island, the motion picture. <laughs> and when you think about like at the beginning of the movie, the fugitive, if you bought some member of the TV series was kind of a short, you know, quick angles of things in the shit in the train wreck. Right. But when they did the movie, the fugitive, they did a train wreck. Yeah. Well, you have the funny little shipwreck at the beginning of Gilligan's Island series, but in the movie, it would be a shipwreck rivaling all shipwrecks, including Titanic, Yeah. you know, all of this. And there would be volcanoes going off and all kinds of things to make it the the Gilligan's Island, the motion picture. And then I want stunt casting everywhere. And at one time I went in, I went seven stars. And I, then I went, and when I, we were at Warner Brothers at one point, I said, here's what we're going to do. I have a contest because everybody's going to write in. Whoever figures out who, is, who the, the cast is first gets a million dollars. And the executive Warner Brothers said, can I enter? <laughs> <laughs> no. no. But all these, yeah, guys, right. all these ideas just disappear. You know? So... I just, um, every once in a while, somebody comes up and, uh, or I try and sell it again. Now we get ahead of steam and then suddenly bad movies come out based on TV shows and they say, oh, that cycle is over. Right. You know, we were getting ready to go do it and suddenly Chip's movie failed. And then my cousin's movie, which was Baywatch, that failed, you know? Yeah. And so they say, oh no, we're going to no more TV shows based on things. Which is reading the, the whole thing wrong, basically reading the situation wrong. I'm not saying that people yeah, don't want to yeah, see it. But they have to be good movies. For, there's it's easy for example. There's a thing called the Hallelujah, and uh, that I re- refer to as Hallelujah is when as an executive hears something that makes it so they don't have to buy it. Right. So that's the Hallelujah because as soon as you buy something, you're on the hook. Yeah. But, okay. So seeing all those things fail like that, they go Hallelujah. We don't have to do this anymore. But the fact of the matter of all of the TV shows that have been made into 
series. I mean, in a series that have been made into movies, Gilligan's Island would be the best. Now, why do you say it's that? It's got everything. Okay. Because it's got everything, because the idea is so good. The reason a TV show works as a, uh, on, on the big screen has nothing to do with there was a successful TV show. It has to do with whether it was a successful idea. Right. And the idea of seven people on an island having to make this thing work in an adventure situation is a great idea. But they don't, you know, it's much easier to say the other. But now, do you see like, do you see this Gilligan's Island movie as a comedy, or do you see it as a more serious a comedy adventure? Take on it? No, no, okay. no, 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 no. It's a comedy adventure. Okay. The characters are roughly the same. Right. I mean, but but I mean, uh, it was it was very funny when Dad got put into the TV Hall of Fame, um, and I remember over there and in in his graduating class, if you want to call it that, was B. Arthur and Larry Gelbert and uh, there's a couple other people. And there was a red carpet and we're walking down the red carpet because dad was not, you know, he was quite elderly at the time. Right. So I was walking to him and then people are asking questions. What's going on again? And I said, well, we're getting closer. And oh my God, suddenly that's news. None of the other people had anything that was newsworthy. Right. And so I said, yeah, it's getting closer. Well, who's going to be in it? And I said, well, you know, we're not to casting it. Well, who would you put in it? And I said, well, remember there is no movie, but if I was putting anybody in it, I would, and those, when I set up this, it was Michael Sarah and, and, uh, Beyonce ginger and Michael Sarah's killer. <laughs> and, and then when I finally got back to the table and my whole family is there, what were you doing? I said, I was just causing trouble. Right. And they said, what do you mean? <laughs> Getting what do you mean? Talking. I said, look, look, look the news, look for the news the next couple of days. And then sure enough, Big Gilligan's Island movie is going to be made, starring Michael Cera. <laughs> <like this. laughs> and then, and then a few minutes later, you know, a few, another day or two passes, and says, and the start date is such and such, and it's all bullshit. It was all bullshit. That's great. And then I get a crazy call from the, you know, Warner Brothers. You can't make a Gilligan's movie without us. I said, I'm not. You know, <laughs> I'm not. This is what happened. They just ran with this. That's you know, so Beyonce's agent called. So, would you really want us in this movie? They're all doing this stuff. You know, there's no movie. <laughs> No, no, no. You know, well, you did say you wanted stunt casting everywhere, right? That's that was. Your I idea. wanted stunt casting. I wanted in those days. I wanted uh, Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward as the Howells. I wanted uh, or Warren Beatty and Annette Benning as the Howells. I wanted Danny DeVito as the as the or as Mr. Howell. I wanted Danny DeVito, you <laughs> know. And then I wanted Philip Philip Hoffman as the Skipper. And now I wanted, uh, you know, it's all it, now it would be the same kind of thinking, you know, and I wanted to do, definitely break it up racially. I'd, look, I'd have Kevin, what's his name is, uh, Kevin Hart is Gilligan. Something. Right. But, um, oh, you know, I can see that's that. I, yeah. <laughs> I can see that. Yeah. Kevin Hart is Gilligan. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, as a, or Anthony, Antonio Banderas is the professor. At one point I wanted Alec Trebek as the professor. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez. Well, well. Why not? You know. Or, or what's his name? Uh, Bill Nye, the science guy. Mm -hmm. Some. Yeah. Exactly. However, yeah. um, that, that's possibly to be. I have a couple of my, in my own work, I'm not telling you this for the article, but just saying how I think. I have a couple of features that look like they're going to be happening soon. And uh, then maybe I will have that A-list a writer, you know, whatever, and then maybe they'll say, hey, maybe he should do Gilligan's Island. Yeah. Because I already have the script. I have already have the script that scripts, I want. Right? <laughs> well, there's been a lot of scripts written, some uh, four or five by me, 
but there I have one now that I think is exactly the right script, and most of the time people won't read it. But in order, yeah, Warner Brothers didn't want to read it, and there was another one that I rewrote for them, and they wouldn't read that, because um, it's forcing them to make an opinion. Yeah, you know. But yeah, it's just, it's it's, an, it's the nature of the business. I don't fight it too much. I just find a way to work around it. It's just amazing to me that as as the person representing Gilligan's Island that you would say to Warner Brothers, I have this script and they won't read it. To me, that right. that's like a slap in the face. It's like, why would you not at yeah. least have the courtesy of reading the damn thing? Because they don't care about courtesy. Yeah. You know? I mean, it's like, um, here's, here's an expression I use, which is you um, come up with something which you think is a no-brainer, right? This is a no-brainer. Doing a Gilligan's Island is a no-brainer. But the problem is that you keep presenting it to people with no brains. <laughs> right that's it has it you know you you started so long ago in the business you know in some mm-hmm. capacity or another and here we are in 2018 from all those years ago mm-hmm. has it changed i mean obviously the business has changed but has the studio attitudes evolved at all or devolved since those days when you guys were doing gilligan's island and the brady bunch and all that stuff well there was so many less levels okay I mean, in those days when television first started, there was not whole development repart- departments and all. And, they, and, and, and also, some of it had to do with, Dad talks about this with uh, Newton Minow and the vast wasteland. And I don't know if the history of that, but it happened because of the quiz show scandals. Yeah. And the networks were saying, we don't know anything about it. And they said, well, you should because the network is your, your, your public airwaves is public trust and you're in charge of it. You better know. Which that meant the networks took more and more control and had all kinds of departments. And, and, you know, and then they started running the shows, the advertising agencies were out. And so it shows, shows started losing their individuality. And then, then you get, get, then you get into what I call Fred's kids, who are all the people who learned how to be president of a network under Silverman, who had to make every decision. That's Leslie Moonves. And that was, um, you know, a few other people like that. Right. And so, and so, uh, you end up with all shows that have only represent a certain taste. And so you end up like, you know, when Leslie did that over at stuff at CBS, you know, every single show was exactly the same, you know, right. minutia solving a crime, the different initials on it, you know, and that was beyond it. And when Warren Littlefield, when he was at NBC, every show was a, about a girl working in a magazine. Right. <laughs> Caroline in the city. And <laughs> yeah, all those things. like that. And then Tia Leone had one. I mean, him. And because, because only people only have limited amount of taste. The best thing to do, and you're seeing that now on Netflix and those other places, where they get a creative person, they say, here, make a show. Right. You know, make a show. And so they all look, feel, and feel very different. And that's why, you know, I taught at UCLA for eight years. And I would talk about the demise of the networks. And this was, this was in the height of the networks. And cable was just coming in. And I said, but take a look at the shares. When, AB, when Brady went, went off television, it had a 30 share. Right. Okay. That's when it went off. Okay. If a network show now gets a five share, it's a big hit. Oh, yeah. So that's a graph that's going straight down. That tells you the networks are, di- are dead. They're a dinosaur. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Now, what, look at the Emmys. You know, no network shows nominated for anything or wins anything. I will be shocked if the network system of doing television programming is still around in 10 years. I really will be because. Well, that's what I was teaching them at, UC, at, at when I was at UC, teaching at UCLA. Right. And everybody thought I was out of my mind. 
<laughs> you know, <laughs> no. I, I didn't, I didn't foresee, um, uh, YouTube or any of that. Cause this was before computers. Right. And I thought you would just, everybody's going to be their own programmer and they're going to order things through the telephone lines. That's how I thought it was oh, going to really? go. Interesting. Yeah. 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 So. But, but it's true. It's, it's, it's a very different world now with this stuff. I mean, it's just. Yeah, I think it's I think it's extremely healthy. When you have an infinite number of choices, that means an infinite number of places where you can go do things. Yeah, you know it's it's fabulous. It's absolutely fabulous. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, and then but then you watch you know a network putting a comedy on. Oh, it's three young people or five young people, and they have an apartment, and then they have a bar. You know what is that? Yeah. <laughs> well, it was once friends, but that's a long time ago yeah. now. <laughs> but there was a bunch of other ones that were yeah. like that too. Absolutely. You know, that's a pizza place. Oh my God, what a great idea. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, one of the worst day one of the worst days was at NBC and they had all these shows and they said, We're gonna have crossovers of all these shows. You know, this cast is gonna go into this show. Right. You know, and it would that be fun for a stunt thing. I said, That's pathetic. Just the fact that you can do that is pathetic. That means we all live in the same world. Yeah. All these shows. Absolutely. You know? You know? No, yeah. definitely. Now you, you said you have a couple of fe- I don't know if you want to talk about that. Do you want to talk about these movies that you may have going, or do you want to keep that under wraps for now? Let me say this: I do a lot of historical writing. Okay. And there will be a feature based upon a play that I wrote about a lady named. It's called Independence, and it's about a it's a one person show, and it's about a lady named Dr. Mary Walker. Now you've never heard of Dr. Mary Walker. Am I right? No, I have not heard of Dr. Mary Walker. No. Okay. There are 3,400 men who have won the Congressional Medal of Honor and one woman. Wow. Dr. Mary Walker, Civil War doctor. She was the first woman to wear pants. She was the first woman not to take her husband's name in the wedding ceremony and the first woman to take Obey out of the wedding ceremony. She was a prisoner of war and a Civil War doctor. And the reason you've never heard of her is she was against Susan B. Anthony. Because Susan B. Anthony, they're all fighting for the, the, the amendment of women's you know, vote and getting the right to vote. Right. And she right. said, the Declaration of Independence said that everybody is equal. And if you have an amendment, it says that you were not equal. And we can't do it that way. But she got pushed aside. Isn't that an incredible woman? That is amazing. That, that, and so that's something you're working on, basically. Yes. Yeah, That's very yeah. cool. Yeah. And that will, um, we're going to do a performance of it in April in the year in New York, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're going to do it in April in some place like La Francais, something or other, some school or something. Okay. We do it. it, it it's been done. It was done originally in uh, the first performance was world premiere was in Seneca Falls, which was the where the women's movement started. And then it was done in Oswego where Mary Walker's birthplace and it was done at Princeton and there's, you know, there's gigs come, there's one coming in Los Angeles. And so they're big there. That led to interest in a movie. So there will be a movie based on that. That's awesome. Seriously. And it's, and it's, it's yeah. nice to see you doing something like that. Not just like, Oh, okay. I'm, you know, I'm in charge of Gilligan's Island. I'm in charge of the pretty bunch. No, you know, no, no, no. It's so much. I've had, I've had 43 plays produced. And I have a children's theater. I wrote the first play ever written for dinner theater. Oh, wow. And I have a children's theater with my wife, and we've been doing that 35 years in Los Angeles. And I've done many, many other series, you know. And I'm, I'm still active. It just, it just It bothers you sometimes when you're, I'm 72. So people come up and they go, are you retired? And no, it's not. That's a, <laughs> and I go, well, I think, I think you 
have to have a job in order to retire from it. Yeah. I never really felt I had a job. Oh, know? sure. When I talked to UCLA, I said, I want to talk, before we get into this, talking about television, I want to talk about mathematics. Really? Okay. A week has seven days in it. All right. Don't be one of those people who doesn't like what he does for five days to get to the weekend for two days. Oh, yeah. That's, that's five to two bad math. <laughs> be, somebody, be somebody who likes what they do for five days to get to two days they also like. That's seven zero good math. Well that's spaked, it. seriously. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, yeah, uh, yeah. it's true. I mean, and it's so few people get to do what they love, really. I mean, oh, I know. It's, I mean, it's amazing. And it's like, I can't yeah. imagine not doing what I do and not loving it. You know, it's like. No, think about it. Think about everybody going to work and standing behind that cash register every day or yeah. something. You know, no, 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 no. You have to, you have to love what you do. Absolutely. And I, the other thing, I have two sons who are both in the business, but um, I say to them, just, just make a difference. Yeah. You know? Do what you do and make a difference. Yeah, absolutely. And they do. And they love it. My wife's an actress and she, you know, she's in a lot of plays that I do. I have a, I have a, a play that runs around the country now called Dinner at Five. Okay. And it has four television stars are in it. Each We have two casts. And it's uh, two couples that are in their 70s. And they're both based on me and my wife, by the way. Both couples. Oh, that's neat. Okay. And one guy is just full of jokes. Obviously, that's me. Yeah. <laughs> and one guy is full of facts. Obviously, that's me. But the wives can't stand that. And they decide to switch partners. And so they switch partners. And then the second act, they have switched partners. And, you know, hilarity ensues. That's right. But I've had... <laughs> Chris, Chris Knight is in it. Kathy Garver has been in it. And Eileen Graff is in it. And the fast talker guy is in it. And, and Larry and Fred Grandy has been in it, you know, from Love Boat and, um, uh, the soup Nazi. He's in it. You know. <laughs> the soup Nazi. Tonight featuring the soup Nazi. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he's the one most people want to see too, by the way. <laughs> I, you know what? I'm not surprised. <laughs> yeah. Not yeah. Surprised yeah. in the least little bit, you know? Um, oh, and Karen, Karen Richmond from Gidget. You know, so, you know, these are all people, almost, almost all of them I knew beforehand. And yeah. I said, hey, you want to do this play? And then we go do it. That's wonderful. Seriously. Yeah. And it's like, and it's good that you're so active. Seriously. I'm not saying like, oh, you're an old man. I'm so glad you're so active. I mean, I'm not that far behind. I'm 58. So I'm not saying, yeah, yeah. but so I'm not saying, oh, it's, it's nice. You keep yourself busy. No, but it's so great to hear that you're being so creative and in yeah. these different ways. But it's sometimes like them. I'm saying to my wife, you know, it's kind of doing all this stuff. And she said, well, if you didn't do all this stuff, you wouldn't have to do all this stuff. (laughs) You know, (laughs) I come up with something and then we have to put it on or do it. And, you know, it's a play. And so I'm, you know, I wrote a one, I have a one man show on evening with John Wilkes Booth. And, um, uh, we have to go do that in Oregon. So then I'm, man, I got to go to Oregon. I got to go to New York for this, you know, the, the Brady thing. And I'm trying to limit the amount of times I have to go out. Right. You know? But but uh, they're all working. All these plays are working. You know, we have a Gilligan musical that plays around the country, too. Last question. Sure. When you look back at the legacy, and I'm going back to what we started with, of Brady Bunch, okay. Gilligan's Island, just when you mm-hmm. think about the legacy of it, what are your feelings about it? I have a great deal of warmth. It's just an overwhelming feeling of warmth that we get back to what I said about making a difference. Yeah. And it made a difference. The number of people that have said things to us about Brady Bunch that say, you know, that was my family and I needed you and there's something to aspire to. 
when it was bad in my house, I looked to the Brady Bunch. Or in Gilligan's Island, you know, that made us laugh. We heard we heard stories about kids who couldn't speak, and then they they only spoke because they talked like Gilligan's Island or something. And uh, many many tons of stories like that all the time. You know, when it would go, people would go on the radio and they would want to make fun. You know, well, you know, I got Gilligan Brady Bunch. You know, and they oh saccharine thing, all thing was solved in 22 minutes. And let's hear your comments. And all the comments, people calling in were going, that was a great show. <laughs> the, right. the sarcastic host of the show was looking for a different answer. Right. You know? he wanted somebody to support his point of view of it. Barack Obama, when he ran for president the first time, yeah. introduced his wife as a woman who knows every Brady Bunch episode. <laughs> I never knew that. I don't think yeah. I ever heard that. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, you know what? People put a lot of stuff in the world, my friend. And if you could put in a couple of things like this that make people feel good, there's nothing wrong with yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. We our, Let me tell you, our children's theater out here, Storybook Theater Los Angeles, the only equity children's theater in the city of Los Angeles, we have done, we've done every single award you can win, House of Representatives, Senate, Governor, you know, all that, you know, and we've, we have touched so many people with, through that uh, introduction to theater, we had two kids who were autistic speak for the first time in our theater. Really? They got involved in the, so involved in the show. That's amazing. And yeah. And so you, you know, that it's, you know, you love making a difference every day. I make, make a difference somehow. For the past 50 years, Lloyd and his dad have made a difference in a lot of people's lives. Thanks guys for the laughs. Please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and wherever good podcasts live. And give us a five-star review. Don't be shy. I'm Ed Gross, and we'll talk to you next time.